Welcome, everybody, to our podcast series, Leading in a Climate-Changed World. It's a great pleasure to be spending time this morning with my friend Nick Ross. Nick has been a leadership trainer and personal development coach for over 20 years. Coming from a professional background in addictions therapy, his work today includes delivery of extensive leadership development programs and executive coaching to global companies and senior leaders. As director of A Different Drum, Nick brings his love of writing, poetry, storytelling, and the wild to his work with executives and senior teams to address and reflect on the place of soul at work, and specifically the role of creative sanctuary in supporting healthy human well-being. He's also a coach and companion to many individual leaders going through periods of significant transition in their personal and professional lives. Nick has chosen to stop flying for work or pleasure in 2020 because of the climate emergency, and I'm sure we will explore more around that in our, in our conversation. He also has a long-standing interest in the exploration of human consciousness and draws his inspiration from time spent learning from a variety of Aboriginal cultures and influential mentors, including Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Parker Palmer, and Robert Munro. Nick works closely also with leaders and elders of the Yawanawa tribe from the Amazon rainforest in Western Brazil and hosts annual cultural visits by tribal representatives from the village of Yawarani to the UK. And lastly, when not working with leaders and organization, he's most likely to be found co-running a two-acre market garden in Somerset with his long-term partner Tia, providing organic food and a learning resource within the local community. And he's a member of the Deep Adaptation Forum, founded by Jem Bandel, one of the other people that we've interviewed in the podcast series, and a member of Extinction Rebellion. So huge welcome to you, Nick. Great to talk with you about these topics around leadership and the climate emergency. And maybe we can just start by talking about how you feel about it all. Uh, well, hello, Robin, and uh, it is really good to see you uh, as ever. Uh, and thank you for inviting me uh, onto this. Uh, it's, a, it's a privilege. Um, so, um, you know, I, I guess I guess my feelings are mixed uh, about about the whole climate emergency situation. Really, uh, it depends on the day to some degree. It depends what I'm what I'm focusing on, what I'm working on. Um, I feel uh, committed, I think is probably the word that comes to mind. Um, and I think I feel uh, willing to tolerate um, what that means, I think, which means to have a capacity to, to handle uh, the, the, the kind of territory we're in. It's difficult territory, I think. Um, <clears throat> very hard to see what the future holds. Um, very hard to 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 know exactly uh, what to do. Uh, I was sitting around a fire a week or two ago in a in a woods. Um, I'd gone over to see somebody and to talk about the climate climate emergency, if you like. And I remember sitting. It was the stars were all out, and we were surrounded by by a load of trees. And and uh, and I remember just looking into the fire and thinking, you know, I don't I don't know. Uh, is 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 the phrase that comes to mind more often than I wish it would. Um, I don't I don't have lots of solutions, uh, and so I'm having to learn to live with that. Um, <clears throat> I feel I feel prepared. 
I feel like life has prepared me for, for where we are today. Um, I feel happy in one regard because what, what, what the crisis is doing is drawing me uh, out of, um, I think out of a pattern in my life where I spend a lot of time traveling alone to wanting to be with others. Uh, maybe more than that, maybe I need to be with others. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've seen you today and it's a good thing for me because I know, I know, I know where your heart is with this and, and it gives me confidence, you know, and, and I think about the people that I'm spending more time with now and, and I need that to be honest, um, to draw on the goodwill, um, of, of other people and to sit with, uh, with not knowing, um, uh, right. Yeah, sitting with not knowing and being with others feels like the, the kind of core characteristics of our time. Yeah. You've also made a big decision to stop flying. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could just say a little bit about what prompted that and also what the impact is, because your work, a little bit like many people's work, had, had involved traveling around the globe and kind of justifying that about, well, we're doing good things when we get there. And yet now you've decided to not do that. So maybe you could yeah. <clears throat> so the decision was um was was a it was quite a quick decision actually um and it was uh it came at the back of the uh, of completing uh, uh what's something called a dieta um i was out in the rainforest in august um living as you uh, said in the introduction uh with uh, the yawanoa um in uh, the village of yawarani they have eight eight villages in Acre in western western brazil and i was out there and i was completing i completed or started there and completed in the uk a, a dieta which is a, a kind of um uh, it's a diet it's a spiritual diet a physical diet uh, an emotional diet it's a diet of this of this body and soul really um, quite disciplined. Um, but what it brought me at least was over that time was a, a certain clarity of mind or a certain clarity of thinking. And it led me, it led me to, 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 to a kind of mirror really of having to look at my, myself and my relationship with the earth, um, with my life, with my work, with what I do. Um, and when I looked, um, I, I started to, to look more deeply and I, and as part of that, I was thinking a lot about obviously the global, the, the climate crisis. I started to look more pra pragmatically at what my footprint was and discovered that my, you know, having done a bunch of self-assessments, if you like, kind of, kind of global warming profile of myself. That so I might my profile, you know, on a good day was sitting at something in the in the region of around fifty four metric tons per year, which um, was shocked shocked me, just totally shocked me. And forty two of the fifty three tons or something was 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 based on came out of flying. And I thought that can't carry on. I can't carry on doing that. Um, nobody's going to stop me. In fact. In fact, I've been rewarded hugely over many years for flying more and more and more. I have been a proud holder of a gold card with BA, a frequent flyer, and uh, lauded for that. I get special dispensation. I get to go into nice lounges and given lots of nice things and 
I, I get on the plane first and it's all very nice. And so I'm rewarded for acting in ways that are actively harming <clears throat> or putting at risk everything that we have. And it's a kind of, it's a kind of place that we've come to collectively and, and it, it's seductive. And I decided that I, 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 nobody else is going to stop me. So I have to discover what limitation looks like, um, what kind of voluntary simplicity, if you like, or limitation looks like. Um, so my decision was, was made to try to get my, my footprint somewhere closer to the, to the kind of national average in the UK, which is around nine or 10. Um, but you, you know, the truth is, you know, as, as we both know, I think the, the, the climate change target per, per capita is like two tons. That's how far away we are. Um, so I did it for those reasons. I did it to make a start and, and how it affects my work is, is a lot. <laughs> right. I've had all my Asian work, all my American work is gone. Uh, right, I'm so left with much, right? Much so you, less. so you've been because I think in a way what you're mirroring is is in a way what we're asking everybody to do, which is to make radical changes to their business model, whether they're an individual or a company, hmm. in order to to meet and live within planetary limits. Correct. So you're experiencing a degree, I guess, of discomfort, or how does it feel? Like, no, how does it feel? It, it, I feel great. I, I honestly, Robin, I really, you know, there are moments where I've thought, you know, oh my god, what have I done? It was a kind of, you know, it was also I would say as well the the final the final moment was watching uh, Greta um, on a Democracy Now interview about forty five minutes. <clears throat> and and I had literally just finished the dieta and I and I came across this by accident and 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 it was just the most profoundly moving experience listening to her speaking. Um, and so I feel I feel happy to be a, a, allied with people who are acting bravely, um, who who are showing real courage. And you know, for me, I mean, I know that my my act doesn't change anything. There is a queue of people that are going to have my seat and make any difference in some ways, but it does make a difference to me. And it focuses my attention every day. So I'm now traveling by train. Um, I got to tell you, it's, a, it's, it's, it's actually much nicer, but it's more complicated to organize. So I've been traveling around Europe this week and it took me quite a long time to figure that out. But you know, I, I got into it and it's good. I don't miss airports in any way i don't miss the planes in any way i don't miss the the extraordinary rush to get in and out of them um but yes it affects me it what what it means is i'm having to right size my life to the to the means that are available to me at a planetary level it's what 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 do what does the earth what can the earth actually actually give me right. it's a lot so less a, than what i take right and I want to applaud and, 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 and acknowledge the courage that it takes to do that. And I want to shift our conversation into, into leadership development mm -hmm. because a simple question is, are you and we and people like us expecting or asking leaders to do the same, like with their companies? Or what's the, what's the approach you take? Also, when you're talking about, about bringing soul to work, like what is the soul of leadership say about the climate emergency? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't acted expecting anybody else to, to do that. 
I would love it if they did. I think it gives me a basis from which I can get up in the morning and come to work in a way that feels like I'm, I'm right with myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm right with the earth and I'm right with the things that matter to me. And in that regard, it is that I'm right with my soul. That's I'm right. listening to the voice that is beneath the ego's need to achieve, to win, to be something. That was very tough when I really reviewed what I do and asked myself, you know, do I have, do I really have special dispensation to use up more than my quota of the carbon of the carbon that we have left in order to do what I do is am I doing something that is so special that it, that it, that it deserves that? And the answer was no, I'm not. <clears throat> I, what, so what kind of, so on the back of that, what kind of conversation do we need to have with leaders, political leaders, local leaders? I think, I think, I think that's, that's, that's a great question. I think, I think what we need to have is very straight, honest conversations. Um, you know, we, we've said, and you, you know, we, you have to meet people where they are to some degree, but there is also this word disruption that is being used more and more and more now. And I've just come back from a, <clears throat> from a, from a climate conference that was hosted by, by the biggest insurance company in the world. Um, uh, and, and, and what they told me, uh, what they told all of us as an audience, which I, I have to say from a transparency perspective was really actually really quite impressive was that they had applied something called the GWP to their own, to their own assets, to their own, to, to their own, um, uh, to their own entire business portfolio. The GWP is something like the, the global warming, um, profile or something that way. Um, which is kind of like taking a thermometer and sticking it in your business and coming back out and saying, okay, so if I carry on doing what I'm doing, what, uh, what kind of temperature rise might we expect in a few years time? And for them, it's somewhere in the region of, uh, around 3.1 degrees, um, climate year, we're going to be seeing a 3.1 degree planet. If they carry on with the profile that they've got, it's gone down compared to the industry overall, which is about 3.7, <clears throat> they're doing better than some. But that's the gap. <clears throat> it's, a, it's, it's so far. And when one of the uh, CEOs for one of the, the major oil companies spoke, I, I was left in no doubt that there was no intention in that person whatsoever to change their patterns of behavior. And as he said, um, we're here to sell oil. People want it. They want it cheap. They want abundance of it. And that's what I do. And if you don't want to buy it, uh, I'll sell it somewhere else. And so what I think when I talk about disruption, I think, you know, there are people out there, there are movements out there for whom disruption, I think, if you like, disruption is the only way that's likely to get into the psyche of some of these people. But in terms of sitting down around the table, for sure, I mean, this organization has its own CEO of climate now. <clears throat> um, their most banks are joining that party. We're seeing shifts with people like EasyJet or IKEA, and there are movements. For me, I think it's about creating, if we can, creating forums for leaders to sit down with the science in the room that is credible and real, and engaging in conversations that 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 are about that industry or industry-wide, certainly, if not. Uh, if not broader than that, 
So, so there needs to be a, a framework that ultimately is political and leads to direct action in terms of regulations and sanctions. I think the odd leader getting switched on here or there, if they are a CEO, maybe that will have some kind of influence. Um, but even then, the, the truth of the matter is, as I experience, I work with CEOs. That's what I've done for years. It's all that's where I work. That's the space I'm in are bound up by so many different factors in terms of what the, what what society expects of them what their people expect of them um what their shareholders expect of them i think i think a lot of ceos have much less room to maneuver than we imagine they do i wish i wish it were different <clears throat> i think that that nonetheless you know those of us that are called to do it and i'm i'm i am i'm reluctant but I am called to do it, need to look at the environments that are conducive to that dialogue. And, and just the last point I'd make, Robin, is, you know, in, in a way, as you, you said in your introduction, I mean, my background was in addictions. And this is a profoundly addicted society. You know, the, the crossover is, is obvious. And one of the things that, was, that I used to teach many years ago, and we, we used to run our addiction services was 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 about creating environments in which a person were they could were they able to choose could change and i think part of our work is to is to steadfastly create environments where dialogue is possible um and it's hard because you know a couple of days ago i was listening to the guy from a from a petro petroleum company oil company and i you know, I was pretty devastated. I, I was, I was angry, and um, I was, I was trying to keep my heart open, and it was not an easy thing to do because there's, um, you feel the time pressure as well. Well, that's <clears> the <throat> question I was going to come to actually is about the time pressure because, you know, there's a certain narrative that says we've got eleven years, maybe ten, maybe mm. twelve. You know, and then people will dispute the science, and sometimes I sit and wonder. Is it helpful, this timeline narrative, mm. or should we just be just, I mean, should we be listening to our soul's calling, which is probably to live in a more interconnected way in yeah. any case, regardless of what the science is telling us? So how, how, lovely, how useful yeah. is the science? <laughs> um, the science is, I think the science is useful because it gives us physical, credible, physical parameters to work towards, you know, we do live in a, in a world that is at least partly material uh, or strongly material in the sense that, you know, uh, ice cap melt is happening, pollution is increasing, these things are measurable and we are, and they are changing to the point where having a living earth and, um, functioning climate which are the two foundation stones that i use to determine my work now are in jeopardy and it looks like they are in jeopardy in the in 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 the in the reasonably near term and as you say people i think getting lost in the dispute about about how how many years this way or that can 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 be a bit of a red herring i think the sense that there is a need to change is is something that is profoundly interesting and I think even if one were to take the climate change issue or the, the, the ecosystemic issue, because it's much broader than climate, and to kind of dial that back a little bit, I still think we are in a place at a human level where the way in which we understand what economy means is, 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 is highly suspect. 
And I think from the develop from the sense of the development of the human soul, as you put it, for the development of the spirituality of the human being, <clears throat> we have come about as far as we can um, in a in a in an experiment or a project that sets a relativistic, deterministic, objective mindset against a way of understanding the world in terms of holes in terms of, of, of the interconnectedness of things, which we know is actually the basis of all, all life. So for me, you know, to your point, I think underneath, if you like, I, I guess to, to put it that way, beneath the surface of the movement of things, the, the turning world, the question is, you know, to kind of borrow from T.S. Eliot, what is the still point in the turning world? And I think for me, that is, 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 a, is, is much more about a personal practice of what is, the, what is the relationship of soul to the noise of the world and how do I discern and what do I do that allows me to discern the difference between what is essential and what is noise. And I think part of the issue is how noisy, of course, you know, the urgency issue makes noise as well as pointing to what is essential. Yeah, that's beautifully put. And I wonder then if you could talk to us a bit about your experience of engaging leaders, CEOs and others in that soulful conversation. Yeah. And that, what's the experience? Are people open? What are the doorways through which you can walk to generate a conversation like that? Yeah, that's a lovely question as well. The, the, so silence is, a. Uh, is one of the ways that we can allow the, the, the voice of the soul to, to speak um, without being distracted by the noise. And so my experience of working with, with leaders is that, you know, when you start to work in ways that engage with what we might call soul, whether that's through meditation, uh, and silence, whether it's through walking in uh, or being in in wild, particularly wild environments, um, or whether it's through the use of mythic stories, um, whether it's through the use of poetry, which all of those things I use pretty much. That's what I do. What I find is it's like you know, um, the, the people people desperately want that. It's like it's like being given a being given a drink in a desert and what i find most of the time in almost every case is that is that leaders when i work with them i mean you know at the level that they're at they, they've had all the 360s they've had all of the cognitive stuff they know that inside out what they crave even if they don't know it when they walk in but what they crave is a chance to be who they be themselves to connect with themselves as feeling living extraordinary beings complex body mind spirit beings and to have that taken seriously to have the time to to sit with a poem i mean i take most of my coaching now i take people hiking usually i go up to wales and we walk and, and I do virtually nothing. I mean, the trees do the work, the stream does the work, the sky does the work, everything does the work. And all it is, is the person remembering who they are. 
what they are beyond the distractions you know and i think you know we're in a place now it's funny i was talking about this with somebody a couple of days ago where the industries of distraction and the industries of destruction are in in a, in a very strange dance and more and more people are seeing through that crack the distraction isn't covering up what it is that we're doing that is actually creating more suffering and so I think when you create spaces where people can reconnect with themselves, and I think that the whole issue we're in, the whole drama we're in is a result of disconnection. If I boiled it down to one word, it would be that word. So bringing people back into connection with themselves is a good in its own right. And I think it, it creates an internal environment, if you like, an internal sanctuary out of which change might happen. Yeah, may not, but it might. Totally, I'm totally with you on that. And I'm curious then about what, in your experience, <laughs> leads somebody to the realization that they are disconnected. Like when, we, when we're living a disconnected world, we often think that that's normal because that's the world that we live in. And then somebody says, oh, actually, it can be a bit different. Like, what, is, what's, what's the, what takes somebody from that place of maybe numbness or disconnection to a realization yeah. that there is something else, and then they're willing to go on a walk for you in the wilderness and, and have kind of heartfelt, soulful conversations? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think, I think, it, 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 I think fundamentally, I think what changes is when people feel things. I think I, I think it doesn't really matter if I say to somebody, look, there is a different world, or there is there that there is a you know the the world is the, the, you know for, for for something material to exist, there must be immaterial. Um, I think at the cognitive level, people will understand that, or maybe not. I think what shifts people, generally speaking, is some kind is 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 some is some kind of significant sense of feeling shift. So I think in the work that I do, what I try to do, I, I hope in a, in a considerate way, is to create environments which are conducive for the soul to come forward, if it so chooses. And when it does that, then what comes forward is a kind of complexity of feelings and emotions and sensitivity, which, which can be quite shocking, I think, but powerful, let's say at least. And I think that can be, a, be if you like, a kind of quote-unquote wake-up call. Uh, I think other things that do it are, are crisis. I mean, you know, certainly in the addictions world, I mean, you know, it's a long way, usually, from somebody recognizing that there may be a problem to actually deciding to change. But I think, I think nothing really ever changes until somebody has an emotional experience of, some, of, of something that 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 in some way challenges their fundamentally challenges their existing worldview and says that this isn't all of it and and it might be and we used to talk didn't we about you know death divorce and disease being three of the routes that human beings um can access a very different way of looking at things through those lenses that was that was a framework we used to use in the old addictions world but I think, I think in some regard, without it being in any way manipulative, shift happens when, 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 when the intelligence of the heart comes online. I don't think it's about the head. I think obviously we need the head. We've got to think about how do we solve the problems that we're facing right now. It is a 
partly rational concern, but it's not, it's not potent if it's not connected with the intelligence of the heart. Right. And you talked about having dialogues like within sectors, which is maybe where some of those kind of more heartfelt and maybe sometimes emotional conversations happen. I guess there's for sure a place for cross-sector dialogue where we actually start to understand people from other other worlds and experiences. And, And it leads me to a question about the engineering of these aha moments. Like, is that is that an essential part of leadership development now to give people experiences beyond what they're familiar with, where they feel, ah, I get it now in a way that I haven't got before. And, and if so, how, how do you do that? What sort of experiences do you have for that? I think, I, th- I mean, it's, I think, I think that's right. Um, it's interesting because I was sitting next to a guy uh, a couple of days ago at this conference, a guy called Christian Klo. Um, and I hope to catch up with him again sometime. He's the CEO of a, of a, uh, an organization called Adaptation, and he's a scientist, but he's a ex- scientist explorer. And what he does is he takes groups of people into very remote places that are um, really out of the out of the norm for, for 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 them. Maybe it's the rainforest, maybe it's the Arctic, or whatever. And they measure the changes that take place uh, in a person put into an extreme or or, or, or dramatically different situation, because he's looking at what happens in a human being. Um, where adaptation is required and and his conclusion i mean you know there is a typically a kind of internal meltdown um and total sense of displacement and loss and grief and fear and all these numbers of things but actually the recovery period i think is something that he sees as being a potential area for us to focus our attention on and he raised an interesting question about the degree to which we are funding um, human beings or the, or, or the or support for human beings to prepare themselves for adaptation I mean just something that Jen talks about a lot is 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 you know in the three in the four R's is is how do we how do we adapt ourselves so I think there is a a, a case well there is it's not just a case I think there I think we have to consider seriously creating environments whether it be in in, in the wilderness or in in unusual environments or where people can see what is already happening within the climate emergency space so you're actually going and seeing what is going on so that you are touched uh, by what is actually happening i think that for, i think that's that's that has to has to be part of the framework of, of, of education moving forwards i think as long as ultimately I think I think the, the 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 fundamental problem that we have is that pretty much every conversation I hear at the moment from from industry is predicated on a on a desire or a belief that we will keep everything the same that everything's going to be okay effectively everything's going to be okay we're, we're working towards a transition that is smooth and that means that we still have our cars and our tellies and da, 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 da. Um, I don't think there's a sense yet, generally speaking, people may disagree, but let's say generally speaking, that actually the very basis of what we dis- dis- understand by economy in its correlation to GDP is, is, is not only suspect, but is actually likely, to, um, likely not to survive the next period. Um, so we are looking at something, or I suspect something that's truly radical. And I think that, therefore, 
creating environments for people to be exposed to themselves in a radical way is probably probably essential yeah that's great and where where do you see it happening like if you were to now just kind of name check a few kind of people or organizations where you think well these people are are kind of starting to embody the practices the leadership the inner awareness the soulful conversation where where do you see it happening do you see it happening in many places or any place I don't I don't, I don't know that I do um, I think I'm seeing it in individuals more than in co- in, 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 com- in communities of practice so far. Um, you know, I think, I think there are a number of individuals, many of whom we, we both know, that are, are working in this space now and trying to, trying to come up with, with um, programs or retreats or workshops that might be able to, to speak to that space. But I think it's, I think, I think it's pretty nascent if I'm honest with you. I think, I think we're also caught in the, I speak for myself, but I don't think I'm the only one as a consultant or facilitator who's probably realizing that the, the stories we've been, we've been sharing over, over the last decades have, have, have probably been about improving performance or, or, you know, in different ways working nonetheless within the kind of existing paradigm of, of, of what we understand by economy. And I think we're probably, myself certainly, I think in, in some kind of catch up as well. Do I think there are, there are, that there are possibilities there? I, I, on a good day, I do sometimes. Um, if I'm honest, I often think it's too late. You know, I think it's, I think, I think, uh, and too, and too, too late for what exactly? Because we often have this kind of, is it too, are we going to make it? Is it too no. late? Too late so, for what so, exactly? So, uh, yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, and it, I like it because it, it, it takes me from a place that suddenly felt a bit depressing to something that feels not so depressing. Um, no, but I think for sure too we're late. too late for some things. But too, too late. late, no, but I think, I think, and I think it's such a, so, so, such a good question. I think, so, so I think, you know, I think probably we're too late to avoid um, too late to avoid seeing a an end to the to the to the capitalist consumer based system that we have created over the last you know. Let, let, let's say slowly over the last couple of hundred years and, 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 and very, very rapidly in the last decades. So, so, you know, and, and one could easily say from that perspective that this is, uh, these are, these are necessary end times for, for the, for, for what is actually important for the human being in 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 our relationship with the earth and 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 the wider universe that 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 we've minimized ourselves so much by limiting ourselves to a, a consumer way of seeing the world by living life i think stephen jenkinson talks about living life on the take it's such a limiting way of being a being and and so I think we're probably we're probably too late to rescue that, 
Now, I, there's a part of me that goes, if it wasn't going to be so potentially so horrible, I would say, okay, that's a good thing. I, 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 I'm concerned for, the, for, for how that transition will look because I'm not sure that the, the space between complacency um, or denial, how do, would you pick a word really, and, and panic, I'm not sure how big that space will be. Um, and uh, that gives me great concern and it, and, and it would be outrageous of me to not acknowledge the suffering that, that, that is likely to come about as a result. And, of and is already coming about. Oh, it's happening now. I mean, I mean, what, a couple of hundred million, you know, climate refugees already. And so, you know, I, I need to be mindful in, in how I see it. I think the system, the system is, I mean, it's clear, it's obvious. We're on a planet that is 4 billion years old. It's maybe halfway through its life cycle. And, you know, I was on the tube a couple of days ago, kind of rammed in playing that kind of game you do on the tube of how many people can you get in a carriage. Um, and, and it's more than you think. And the, and thinking, you know, this is, this is just, a, this is not going to last. <laughs> and, 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 and in one way it's kind of, yeah, that's a good thing. But the cost of that's going to be huge because, because of the level of, of psychic investment in it, personal investment in it. Um, and it comes back to the question of what we understand by economy. And for as long as we equate economy with GDP and not with what it actually, the Greek word economos, oikos nomos, isn't it? Household management is what it actually meant. And how many of us genuinely recognize that our household extends to all life on earth and indeed the, the the universe that is that is household management and until such time that we get it we are going to suffer and i think we suffer now we su i mean all of this freedom that we have looks like chains to me um it looks like suffering to me i'm on the train and i'm not seeing free people i feel i see people enslaved by strange notions of work and and um, uh, you know, I think I think how we um, how we redefine or rethink notions of what household management means. I think we're being brought to a place where we have to reconsider that. Yeah, and it also sounds like you're pointing us in the direction of the need to not just feel what we experience, but also prepare ourselves for loss, grief letting go of many things that we have <clears throat> become accustomed to. And I guess part sure. of the role of leaders is going to be to coach, guide themselves and others through profound loss and grief. Entirely true. And I think, I think it raises another question, you know, there, which, I, which is in, important, which is that we find ourselves in a time, I think, where we have, we have leaders in position who are, who are, you know, exceptional at leading, leading us within a parad the paradigm that we've decided is what's real, this sense of economy and the way we've got it, but are, I, I fear, are ill-equipped to deal with what you just described, because what you described from a leadership perspective is what I would call an, in an initiated person um or a person that has uh, some kind of eldership qualities. 
um, which you can't grant to yourself. You don't self-initiate. You're initiated in a company of people in order to expand your perspective on and have your perspective expanded through through the experience of, of, of death into a different kind of life, which is much more uh, oriented towards the community and towards towards the if you like the spiritual world. And I would say that we are in trouble, at least in part, because at the helm we have a lot of of very of uninitiated people, often often uninitiated men. Um, so we have a problem with boy men being in charge of things. And uh, unfortunately, a lot, of the, a lot of the truly initiated women and men, and we find them in indigenous tribes to some extent, but they're, 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 it's much more than that. There are plenty of in, in, the, in, in uh, more, if you like, mainstream, quote unquote, cultures um, are, are not in a position to make those decisions at this point. And I think that raises a, raises a big question is how to initiate people into a place where they could actually tolerate the kind of levels of grief and fear and, and, and anger and such that, that, that we're likely to experience. I think it's a question for us to consider. Yeah, and I think maybe that's a good note on which to just bring this very beautiful and soulful conversation to, to, to a close in a way it's pointing us in a, in a direction around initiation and the hosting of very challenging feelings that are going to get catalyzed as we move closer and closer towards these. Well, I think the earth is, uh, I think the earth is about to initiate us if it hasn't started already. Right. <laughs> so I just want to give you a space. If there's any last comments you want to offer before we close, Nick, I've really valued and enjoyed the conversations. Felt yeah. Really deep. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, I think, I think that what I would say is that, you know, and I think it's something you were kind of, touching on earlier I think is to is amongst all the noise and there's a lot of noise is 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 that it's so important to take the time wherever you can and I think that can be anywhere actually to to take moments to see to see the extraordinary in the ordinary and to 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 appreciate this moment really I think the more that that, that we can we can be be present actually in this in now to these moments i'm just looking at these i've got some a bird feeder just outside the window and i'm just watching the birds feeding and i'm just thinking you know this is a lovely conversation and it's lovely to watch the birds feeding and um you know i got up this morning and i walked and i saw the sun coming up and it was it's almost in its most deepest south uh, southeasterly position now because we're near the solstice you know, and I saw a fox walking along by the stream and I saw six deer running and, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a lucky guy. But I think you can do that anywhere, you know, and I've taken a lot of walks in London and other cities. And, and, and you know, as uh, Yates said, you know, you know, what was it? Uh, 20 minutes more or less. I thought so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless he, how how the cough how the uh, how the street burned for him that that morning that that doesn't matter where we are if we have the eyes to see it the street the street will burn for you um, and and I would say that would be a parting shot is to make sure that we take time to to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. Yeah, thank you so much. It's beautiful. I feel very touched actually as you close with that. So thank you for that. Thanks for this time, Nick. Great to talk no, with you pleasure. as ever.
and I'm sure our paths will continue to cross in the future. And I just wish you every success you. in your non-flying but deep <laughs> and meaningful work in the world. So thanks so much for this yeah. time, Nick. It's good to be back on the ground. <laughs>